Even our little ones the other Sunday night it was such a blessing. I'm going to tell you what, those that got to go, almost everybody uh, here got to go up there Sunday night. And again, what a beautiful blessing. <laughs> See, I think this was the first time uh, for some of the little guys to be up in there and uh, have raising their hands, you know, <laughs> and blessing the Lord and singing with all their heart. I, I do believe we touched a number of people. I do believe that the Lord was glorified. Amen? And we felt from the very beginning just a beautiful... Everybody gave testimony of that Wednesday night, but everybody wasn't there Wednesday night. So um, we just say again, the blessing of the Lord was there. It was wonderful. We fellowshiped uh, in the Lord in that place. And what a great time. I'll tell you what. The good times that you may remember in life um, may not be the Disneyland experiences, and kids remember some of that stuff. But when you get in the presence of God, that's something you don't forget. That's something you don't forget. And to have our kids in that and, and just see them, you know, little Caleb, he's up <laughs> there blessing the Lord. I think that's the first time to sing up there, you know, and he was in it. Thank the Lord. We want him to stay in it. Grow up in it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And so we love the Lord Jesus. This morning I got something that I feel like um, the Lord opened to me to, to, to speak upon and uh, gave me a couple of, couple of things here that I think is going to help minister to our lives. If you uh, have your Bible with you or or your phone or your tablet or whatever it is that you work with or you can just look in the back here it would be the front for you uh, we want to uh, read a couple of settings of scripture and then we're going to talk about those and believe the Lord got you know he's all the word of God always have a revelation in it whether we see it or not doesn't mean that it's not there and so uh, what the Lord does a lot of times is, is he will open up things to, and this is one reason for ministry. It, it, ministry isn't so that we can have places, so that we get to tell other people what to do. That, that's not what ministry is for. Ministry is for God to bring some lead, leading and leadership, to open, to expand on some things for the church body, so that what, what God teaches us, we can share it in that that it becomes a part of all of us. Can you say amen? And we all grow through it. And no honest preacher will get up and preach something that the Lord hasn't touched them in their heart first. And we do that. Our, our uh, preachers get up, and I know Austin's real good at this. He'll say, just the Lord's just been putting something on my heart. Well, that's exactly what he wants us to speak. It's those things that are that are, he's pressing, affecting us. There, he's, he's, he's working on it in our heart, and in that way, we share it, and God works in others. Amen. So go with me here to the book of Luke, second chapter, and uh, I want to read, I want to grab a verse. Hang on just a minute. i got to get my helpers with me. I noticed that uh, my son, Rodney, who is now, how old are you, Rodney? 
44. He's already reaching for the for the glasses. And uh, I didn't have to do that until I was probably, oh, anywhere around 45, 46. So, so I got to jump on him there. Luke, the second chapter, I'm going to read this 46 verse. And it happened after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, even hearing them and questioning them. We've got another setting that I want to read in the book of Mark, and then we'll go back to Matthew. We'll read in the book of Mark, the 14th chapter. And just the third verse. And he being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he reclined, a woman came having an alabaster veil of pure, costly ointment of nard. And breaking the alabaster veil, vial rather, she poured it down his head. I'm going to go to Matthew in the uh, 18th chapter of Matthew. I've got three settings here that, that we're going to look at this morning, and this being the uh, the third one here. 18th chapter and the 20th verse. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Where? There. Where two or three are gathered together in my name. And Lord, we just ask you this morning, I've seen something here about you I want to share with our body this morning, Lord. Oh, God, we just pray that, that uh, you would touch us this morning. Lord, help us this morning, Lord. Show us a thing. Show us a thing about you. I want to constantly, I want to learn about you, Lord. I want to know about you, Lord. I want to know you, Lord. So, God, show us something about you, your presence, your character, who you are, Jesus, this morning, we ask it, Lord, in your precious name, amen, amen. Johnny Lee wrote a song in 1980, looking for love in all the wrong places. How many's heard that song? It's old, kind of, I don't know, sort of a pop western song, I think. Looking for love in all the wrong places. Looking for love in all the wrong faces. And we know what his song was about, you know. It was about his, his love life or whatever. But really, there's, you know, there's kind of a message there. I'm going to pick up on that just a little bit. There are a lot of people looking for God in all the wrong places. They're looking for God in all the wrong faces. 
He's not to be found outside of the person of who He is, the Lord Yeshua Jesus. So you can keep looking and keep going and keep traveling. You hear about a great revival over here. Let's go over there. You hear about something over here. There's a, a new at one point there was a man that some of our friends thought was a prophet, and they would go. He lived up in the woods, and, and they would go up to see him. And they're looking for God. They're looking for a word of God and and maybe they got something, maybe they didn't, I don't know. But, but I know this, that he's not going to be found outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. You mean if I find Jesus, and I find where Jesus is, then, then I have found where God is. And, and yes, that's exactly what we're saying. And, and if you find Jesus, you have found the fullness of the person of God Himself. Now, I have an issue with those that use Jesus for the springboard to understand about God. They believe that, that if you can enter in through Jesus, then, then you're past Him, and, and He's back here, and now I'm up in the glory stage. I'm up where God is now, and, and I can really understand who God is. Let me tell you this. You are not going to understand who God is, except in the person of Jesus Christ. Because he is the exegesis. John, the first chapter, 18th verse, he is the explanation of God himself. And that's why the scripture says all the fullness is in him. It's not get past him. It's not get to somewhere else. If I can get to a spirit realm somewhere, you're not going to find God unless you find this one called Jesus Christ. So when the Lord set up His design, and I believe that everything God did, it was carefully designed, it was put according to His plan, according to His logos, which we know is the plan and purpose, and, and it is what God in the beginning thought out, reasoned out, used his logic to, to cause it to come to pass, and that everything is in his design. There's nothing that is not in his design. There's nothing that has gone away from his design. God holds everything together by the power of his word. And as much as Biden thinks that they can fix the world, it's not going to happen. God holds the world together by the power of his word. And so his design, his purpose, his creation, it was manifested and put into order. And in this whole thing, which is called creation, which is called heaven, uh, which is angelic beings, which, which is any region that we could possibly touch or ever reach, he has seated himself in the middle of it. That's where he's at. You want to look for him? Look for him seated in the middle. See, the earth is the Lord's. It doesn't belong to us. Well, God gave it to us, you know, in the garden. He gave it to Adam and told Adam, you know, begin to take care of the earth. And, and I'm giving the dominion of the earth over to you. God never gave the dominion of the earth over to anybody. 
But he sits center. He sits center of creation. He sits center of heaven. He sits center of every expanse that there is that we could know of or, or assume Jesus would be center of that. Or, if you would like to say, the middle. Or, like the scripture says, the midst. He is in the midst. Now, the Old Testament uses that term, and New Testament uses that term. He's in the midst. But the midst doesn't mean that he's just kind of filtering around. It, it really has a designed purpose that he is the middle. I want us to understand this about the Lord. He's in the middle, and everything else evolves around him. Don't we sing that song? Jesus, you're the center. But we're, do we really believe that? That he's in the center of it all, and that we evolve around that, is that he is first. God doesn't play second. God doesn't play second place. God's not a good loser. He doesn't know what it is to lose. He doesn't know what it is to be second place, third place, last place. He is always first, and he commands of his people that we place him in first place in everything in our life. What do you think Deuteronomy 6 is about? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God first with all your heart. And then Jesus goes to the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And, and what is that doing? That's, that's keeping him in the middle of everything. We don't ever get to a place where he kind of comes over to the side. He doesn't do sideshow. He doesn't do a side attraction. He is always the main attraction or he is not there. And we could have church and we can have all kinds of religious stuff and orders. And if he is not placed in the center of that, then he just flat is not there. He's not doing stuff on the sideline. He's not doing stuff over in the corner somewhere. He is the main attraction of everything that we plan to do, hope to do, kingdom work, church work. Jesus Christ is the main attraction. Can you say amen? And if we get him over to the side somewhere, he just flat is not in the midst of it. So we love him first. We seek his kingdom first. We give out of what? First fruits. And, and what that meant in the Old Testament, you go back to an Old Testament time, they bartered a lot of everything. Someone would grow wheat. Someone would grow fruit. Uh, they, would, they would have different things that, that, that they did, farming and ranching and animals, and they would take, they wouldn't take the leftover. You don't give God the leftover. Somebody said, if I can afford it, I'll give to God. No, you can't afford not to give to God. And it doesn't matter what God, God's going to supply for the church. God's going to take care of you. He always has in this body. He's always just taking care of everything. You need to understand that first fruits are important to God. 
We don't give to him afterward. If I have a little something extra, I'm going to give it to the Lord. He doesn't want it. He doesn't want your after gift. He wants your first fruit. He wants your first sheep of your fold. He wants the first apples of your tree. He wants what's best to you. And we don't do that. We don't have, nobody here has sheep. Nobody here has uh, uh, apples or fruit. We don't have that. But what we get paid, and God looks at that and says, if you honor me with your first, first fruit, I will consider that as though you have given it all to me. Because God just wants first in our life. He doesn't want second. Second place. Partially. Well, I'm going to serve God, you know, kind of, Partially with my heart. No, we serve God with our whole heart. With our whole heart. He is the main attraction. I think that's something that we have specialized in, especially these last few years. We've been, I just feel like the Lord has been leading us in that direction. And, and uh, the other night, Pastor Ronnie, what he taught was, and I just want to touch it a little bit here in a while, but, but what he said, it's just, it just so true is because this is where we're at. Some, uh, the youth leader came up to, to Rodney there after we were done singing and said, where do you get so many songs about Jesus? That's what we're specializing in. I'm not looking for songs that don't talk about him. I don't need songs that talk about some aspect of, of the by and by or so I need something that's going to worship him and so we look for those songs we find them we sing them and people look at that and say what in the world you know we've been singing about heaven we've been singing about this and that and the other I don't care about that that's all going to take its place but God wants us to put him first main attraction of the church Somebody comes in here, I want them to know that what we're about. And what we're about is not echoes. What we're about is not just joining together and having our thing. We're about the Lord Jesus Christ. Worshiping Him. Drawing Him up above all things. Putting Him first in everything that has to do with His kingdom. Can you say amen? That's what we're about. Clap your hands. We're about that. We're about that. So he does not take a second sideshow somewhere. I thought about this even in death. Even in death. Don't put him back in a corner somewhere on the backside of a building. But you put him out there on the main road going into Jerusalem where the thousands, hundreds of thousands can see him hanging there. And when you put him on a cross... Don't put him on the left. And don't put him on the right. You put him right in the middle. Because he is the center. Can you say amen? He's the center of attraction. They could have crucified him and put him on one side. But the Bible is, it, it, it describes this perfectly in the gospel. Say no. No, he was in the center. And so when we look at him, he's always in the center, even in death. Can you say amen? And so he takes his place. His place is the place of main attraction. Brother Larry Spivey, I don't know if some of you, this goes way, way back, used to come to the church occasionally, and he played the piano and sang, and I'd always, I like that song. I said, can you sing that song? I love the man in the middle. The song goes on to talk about uh, the thieves were there, nailed, uh, 
or on their crosses and they were on this side and that side. But I love that man in the middle because he first loved me. Praise to the man who gave his life in the middle. And because of him, I can go free. I like that song. He stays in the middle in our life. And I want you to realize this morning that, that he must stay in the center of our life. Not to the left. Not to the right. Not to just the part over here or sometime over there. Or maybe on a Sunday. Or maybe if we go up and have a big, big Sunday sing and, and the choir's there. And then, oh, we're just going to exalt him and lift him there. No, he wants to be center in our life. Every single day of our life, he wants to be center in that. Amen. Amen. Now, I want to go to these uh, settings which I read this morning. And there's, there's many of them, Old and New Testament. But I just, these three right here, I just feel like are, are just important to us. Luke, the second chapter and the 46th verse. Every one of you knows this story. Everyone, we've preached about it before, but, but let's look at it again in this light. Jesus said to Mary and Joseph, as they finally found him, why did you search for me? Now, I'm going to take this literal out of the Greek text, because sometimes, you know, King James adds to a little flavor in there. It simply states this, why did you search for me? Did you not know where I would be? This is what the Greek rendering is. Why did you search for me? See, this thing that happened, Jesus, I don't know if you've ever lost track of a kid. I mean, even he's 12 years old, so it's not like he's an infant. We were in the airport, and this stuck in our minds, and, and a guy had lost his son, and he is sprinting, yelling, screaming, up and down through that airport. I forget the boy's name. He was yelling, and we all, you know, were like, how can we help him? We don't know what to do. We don't know the boy. We don't know what it looks like. And... He ran this way yelling. You remember, I think Heather was, I know Kay and I were there. He turned around and got at, got at the end of the gates over here, turned around, started sprinting the other way, screaming and yelling this kid's name. I don't know if you've ever lost a child uh, track of them, but it, it's very, very scary, very scary. And uh, so I want to set Mary and Joseph their one-day travel from Jerusalem, they're going back home to Nazareth. And Nazareth is probably a couple days walking. They have, and, and I don't know why we do this, but parents, we just assume sometimes that the kids are where they should be, right? And I've been raised in church, and, and sometime I can remember someone coming back to the house knocking on the door and saying, I think I left my kid under the bench in the church. The lights are off, and I wouldn't want to wake up like that. You know, that's, that's scary stuff. 
they have assumed that Jesus is with the group. Now, they traveled in groups. There were a lot of robbers on the highways. Uh, they traveled in groups to protect themselves. And probably the whole city of Nazareth. Because the commandment is that you have to go to the feast days. Three feasts, you've got to show up. Um, this is David's house. This is his kindred. They've traveled down from Nazareth. They've come to Jerusalem. They've been there now seven, eight, nine days. The feast is eight days. They're heading back now. And one day into the journey, they get ready. Evidently, they're going to eat dinner or they're going to bed down for the night or whatever it is. And someone said, where's Yeshua? They looked around, looked in the other children and Oh, he's got to be around here somewhere. They look all over those that they've traveled with, and they can't find him. So they figure, well, we're going to have to go back. They don't know where to look. Maybe we need to stop at Bethlehem. Probably being the house of David, many of them stayed at Bethlehem during the feast days. That was David's city, and relatives are there. So they, many of them probably stayed there. Let's, let's go by there. Possibly uh, Mary and, and, and Joseph had stayed there. And so let's go there first. They go back and look. I'm assuming they looked in Bethlehem. At least they looked where they had camped and stayed overnight. I would think that if a child, a child would know to go where, where we were. You would, you would think that. Well, he wasn't there. They've traveled back a day. And now on the morrow, they begin to look some more. I'm sure they said, like any of us, where are we going to look? My goodness, where would this boy be? Uh, maybe. Maybe we'll find him in the marketplace. That would be somewhere where a kid would hang out, right? You know, they've got, I'm sure that in that day they had like, you know, the people brought their food and wares and, and had a big marketplace during the feast. You could buy things to eat. They were there for eight days. And so, you know, a lot of commerce going on. And I would think a, a, a young boy would like something like that. Let's go down there and look. And they search all over. Can't find him. That's day one. Day two, get up in the morning, still just racked with anxiety. We're going to go out. We're going to find him, though. Don't know exactly where to look. Begin to look all over Jerusalem. Maybe he's up by the fortress, uh, Antonia. That, you know, kids like to see soldiers. And probably every morning I'm thinking the Roman uh, cohort that's there at uh, the fortress, goes out and does their military exercises in the morning or whatever they do. Maybe Jesus is out there watching them. We'll, we'll go look for him there. And they look and spend another day looking for him there, around, inside Jerusalem, outside Jerusalem. Finally, the third day, I mean, this is, this is getting weary. And these people, these people are... They're not going to give up. 
like us, if we lost a child, you're not giving up. You're going to keep looking, right? And so yet another day comes upon them, the third day. Let's just ask people if they've seen him. Let's ask other people where he is. Mm -hmm. I'm saying something that you can connect to your life. If you're looking for him in the wrong places, you're not going to find him. But I'm looking for Jesus. But you're looking in the wrong place. He's just simply not there. Well, maybe other folks know where he is. Now, I'm not, you know, I'm not basing my experience in Christ on what other people think. I've got to find him. It is necessary for me to find him. And so Mary and Joseph now, a thought comes over them. I don't know where they got this. But this is kind of a weird thought. Well, maybe, just maybe he's at the temple. And it doesn't, why would he be at the temple? This is, this is weird. He's, you know, the priests are there. They're cleaning up. They have had thousands of sheep come through that place, thousands of sacrifices. Blood is everywhere. Heaps of animals are everywhere. The priest's duty to clean all that up. Surely, Jesus wouldn't be up there. But hey, we've looked everywhere else. Isn't it interesting? The last place you look is where you're going to find something. You know why? Because you quit looking. Let's go down to church and see if he's there. And so when they find him, they are exasperated. They are nerve-wracked. They are tired and have lived in anxiety now for five days. What a mess. And they get to Jesus, and it's almost, you know, I can see myself here. What do you think you're doing? And, and that's the attitude they had. Do you not realize what you have done to your father and I? And his answer is, is, is so interesting. He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry. I should have told you. I should have never done this. I should have never stayed here. No, his answer is to their heart. Why did you search for me? Did you not know where I would be? And the answer is, no, they didn't know where he would be. And I think of the world, and I think of the church that's looking for the Lord in the wrong places. You might be looking for him in a shout. You might be looking for him in a tongue. And you might be looking for him in a prophecy. You might be looking for him in, in, in an orthodox service where, where it's climate controlled by, by ministry and by deacons. And you may be looking for him, but you're not going to find him there. You're going to find him in the midst of his house. 
I think surely Thomas should have known this. They were all together in the house. They weren't at the synagogue, but they had gathered together. They had synagogued in the house, and Thomas didn't show up. And then he didn't believe, but the problem was he was looking for Jesus in all the wrong places. He's in the midst, everybody. He is in the midst. That's where he lives. That's where he stays. He is in the midst. He's in the midst of his house. He's in the midst of his people. Why would we look somewhere else for him? He's not out there in nature somewhere. He's not out there in government somewhere. He is in the midst of his house. He's in the middle of his congregated people. Why do you think we congregate? So I, there's, there's a lot of question about that, about churches. That, why are they congregating? Why? Fill spaces? Get more money? What's the purpose of their congregating together? I want to tell you why we congregate. It's a pattern that he has set from the outset. I'm in the middle. Everybody say amen. He's right in the middle. Right in the middle. Why would you look anywhere else, Mary, Joseph? <laughs> and she hid these things in her heart. Now, I can see her later on in her life. The Bible doesn't talk much about her, except that she showed up at Jesus' ministry a few times. You know where she looked for him? Right in the middle. She went to his meetings. Isn't that, isn't that something? She didn't try and go to his house somewhere and, and look him up out here on, on the bank of the, the river. She found him right in the meeting. And what did he say? This, this is my family. This is my kingdom. This is my brothers and sisters and mothers. They are here in this place. And Mary and the brethren show up. They know where he is. Now, they're not taking part of it, but they know where he is. He's in the midst. Can you say amen? So it is a lesson that Mary... Mary did learn. Let's go on to uh, the second one. Seated and reclining in the house of Simon the leper. Does anybody here know who Simon the leper is? Anybody got it figured out? His last name is Iscariot. You go to John, and John says that Simon Iscariot was the father of Judas Iscariot. The thing about Simon is that he is an ex-leper. He's not a leper. If he were a leper, they could not go in his house. He could not be in the community. It's against the Jewish law and against the scripture for a leper to be in contact with other people. For the obvious reason is that that leprosy is contagious. And so Simon Iscariot is an ex-leper. How did he get to be an ex-leper? He was a leper, and the Bible doesn't record it. He might have been one of the ten. He might have been one of those that was in a colony that cried out to Jesus. We don't know that, but he used to be a leper, and now he's not. And they didn't cure him. There's only one cure for leprosy in that day, and that was the healing power of Jesus Christ. 
So now he is a guest in the house of the ex-leper, Simon Iscariot. And he's seated, reclining. And I'm not going to sit down. I, you know, y'all are sitting. But he's just, he's seated back. He's in the middle of the whole thing. See, the Lord is not a sideshow. He's the center focus. He's seated there. It says that many of the Jews are there. Many of them came out to see because Lazarus had been raised from the dead. And if we take all of the settings of the Gospels, not just this one, but all the Gospels and put it together that the story is in, we'll find out that Lazarus was there. Mary, Martha was there. Guess what Martha was doing? Martha was serving. That's the same thing she did at their house. They're in the house of Simon the leper now. But at their house, they had a big dinner for Jesus. And, and Martha was serving. And Mary, remember, she found the best place in front of the Lord. And it won't be taken away from her. And so, but this time is a little bit different spin. Jesus is reclining in the house. Okay? Every eye is on him. The eyes aren't on Simon the leper. That's no. The eyes aren't on some have been looking at Lazarus, but, but Jesus had called Lazarus out of the grave. And so they're not there just to see Lazarus. They're there to see the one who can call a dead man out of a grave. And they're in the house, and I believe that every time he's sitting in the house, that he's giving forth of his gospel. He's giving forth of his teaching. And he is blessing them. And they are learning. And then comes, we didn't know who the woman was until we put the Gospels together. It was Mary, the sister of Martha, who had sat at the feet of Jesus. And now Mary comes in. And Mary has got this ointment that is so precious. The Scripture said that it is worth 300 denarii. One denarii was a day's labor. One year worth of labor in her hand. We sing that song. and The gravity of it is amazing. Let's put it up to an average wage. Can we do that? Let's just say, I don't know what y'all make or anything, but let's just... Let's just pull a number. Let's just say $50,000. She comes in it, in that house. The intention, it's in her hand. And she is going to pour $50,000 over the head of Jesus. Now, if you read again, you read all of the, the Gospels together. It ran down him, ran down his body onto his feet, and she began to dry his feet with her hair. She went out of there looking like some people comb their hair nowadays. I see some folks that look like they combed their hair with a rototiller. Hair sticking out, but I'm going to tell you something. She had the fragrance of the Lord on her body when she left out of there. 
a year's worth of money. He's sitting in the midst, and now all eyes are turned to him because they know. One smell, they know what this is. This is precious ointment. This is, this is not just, you know, I'm going I'm to dash a little on him. Take my thumb, you know, and rub a little on. No, she takes the whole vial, precious ointment, and pours it over his head. He's in the house of Simon Iscariot, and Judas is there. And what does Judas say? What a waste. What a waste. The Lord has something to say about this, though. Said this woman, she's done something prophetically and doesn't even know. She doesn't know that in a couple days Jesus is going to be arrested and go to a cross. She doesn't know that his life is about to end, but prophetically, somehow, in her spirit, it's time to anoint him. And Jesus said, she has done this in, in anointing me in my death, that she has put this upon me. And I want to tell you this. That you have the poor with you always. And you can go do stuff for them all the time. But you don't have me always. And I'm in the center right now today. And I'm reclining in Simon's house. And I'm here teaching the word to you. And she has taken the treasure of her life and poured it out over my head. It shall not be forgotten her. 2,000 years later, we are preaching about the woman who took the ointment and poured it over Jesus' head as a reminder of perfect praise to God. There is no cost too high to worship Jesus. Well, Pastor, have you ever taken a year's salary and poured it over his head? Well, I've never had a year's salary at the end of the year. <laughs> I did do a, I forget what, what I call it, an Acts something, third chapter I think it was. I did take a piece of property and said, God, I'm going to give the whole thing to you. I did do that. It wasn't as good as, I mean, we bought the property for, for $50,000, and by the time we sold it, it was worth 7500 But I said, well, devil... You're not going to get it all. I'm giving the rest of it to the Lord. Well, I've never taken a year's salary and dumped it over his head. But there's always somebody going to say, what a waste. What a waste. You see, the man that found the pearl of great price, he sold everything and bought it. And I love, brother man said this. His neighbors looked at him and said, what a waste. You sold your house, you sold your car, you sold, you sold everything, your furniture, to buy a pearl? And he just simply said, you haven't seen the pearl. Mary saw the pearl of great price. Can you say amen? And exhibited something. Him right in the middle, center of attraction, and exhibited the perfect praise over Jesus. Nothing 
Nothing is too valuable in my life to pour it out before the Lord. Can you say amen this morning? Is there anything too valuable in your life to pour it out before Jesus? Is there anything that means more to you that, that you can't worship Him with that, but you can't give Him glory and honor and praise to be in the middle and the center of your life and the center of your church, the center of the kingdom of God. He stays in the center. That's where He's at. And we come to worship Him. This idea of God coming down and doing everything for us, really that's not worship. Worship is that we come to where He is and we pour out what's important to us and pour it out on our Jesus. Amen. Can you say amen? Wow. I better hurry now. Okay. I didn't start. I, I didn't start right at 11, so don't hold me to it. But I am going to hurry. Is anybody in a hurry this morning? You, uh, I'll leave just a few minutes. You can get up and leave. No, nobody's leaving. Okay. Matthew, the 18th chapter. Now, Jesus is prophesying to the church. It hasn't happened yet. But it's going to happen. So he's speaking prophetically in Matthew, the 18th chapter, starting with the 18th verse. He said, if any two of you agree as touching anything on earth. Can you say on earth? On earth. It shall be done by my Father in heaven. But it happens on the earth first. And so I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to a little bit of a point here. And so you agree on earth and in the spirit realm God agrees. And then he says if you bind anything on earth that's already been bound in heaven. But it is bound on earth. Physical, temporal, tangible. It's something we do on earth. I don't like people who are too spiritual. They forget that we're on earth. They forget that what needs to be done <clears throat> goes through earthly channels first. When just walking around here, you know, they that are led by God, they, they uh, are, Romans 8, led by the Spirit. We walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But I challenge you to this. If you do not walk after the flesh, then just stop eating right now and don't eat anymore. Just stop taking care of all the necessities of life. You're going to die, Right? We walk in the flesh, but not after the carnal mind. That's what the Scripture is saying. We don't walk around in the Spirit, floating around. And I've been around people. I've just been there so spiritually minded. They're no earthly good. Do you believe you can get so spiritual minded that you're no earthly good? Everything becomes spiritual to you. Well, that which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. And so then he goes on to say, where two or three... Where two or three synagogue in my name, Yeshua, Jesus, on earth, where two or three come together on earth, in my name, I will be there 
in the midst of them. It's not so much that we came together, but it's that's what he's already purposed, is that when we synagogue, that's where he is. So we're wondering a lot of times, where's the Lord in this thing? We go to church, I didn't feel nothing. We go to go somewhere that they're supposed to be all anointed, I didn't feel anything. And, and it just seems like, you know, where's the Lord at? We're two or three synagogue together in my name. See, it becomes earthly before it ever becomes spiritual. And there's a lot of people trying to connect to holy things that don't want to go through earthly things to get there. As long as you're walking on this earth, you will deal with earthly things. You're going to deal with the earthly before you get to the spiritual. The Corinthians, in, in the latter chapter, 15 and 16, it talks about the Lord being the second Adam. There's the first Adam, earthly, before you ever get to the second Adam, Spiritually, there is this thing about we deal with earth. And, and I don't want to spiritualize things so much that we forget that the Lord is here. But, but we look at them all in spirit. Everything's in spirit. But if you don't have his name connected to earthly things, you'll never reach spiritual things. And if you set him aside in earthly things... What you're doing to find him, the only thing you're going to have is an encounter with something that you think is God, but it really is just emotion. I've been in a lot of church services that there was a lot of emotion, and there was very little presence of Jesus there. Because he doesn't do sideshow. He does main attraction. Can you say Amen. So we split in there and we're going to go off over here into holy things and, and do this and that. And, and no, no, we stay. If we want the presence of God, there is this. So Sunday night, Pastor Ronnie said this, and, and, and we've worked in this a little bit before, but, but I think I, I, want you, I want you to go further in this because I really do believe this. No one comes, the Greek word, proston patera. And it's translated to the Father. It actually means toward the Father. But the Father is spirit. The Father is not flesh. No one comes to the Spirit of God unless they come to me, Jesus says. So I'm trying to get to the Father, an old spiritual thing, and I don't come through the flesh man. What do you think that name's about? That name's not about something in the heavenly. That name, Yeshua, you know what that means? That means that the heavenly God came down in flesh to save us. And that name is about the earth. That name is not about the heaven. That name is about access to the heaven through the earthly. And the earthly, God came into the earthly, and with his name, his name is the only access there is to the spiritual. You can't get connected to the spiritual. You cannot get prostan patera without 
Jesus Christ. He is the flesh anchor which we go to. He is the center, and if we don't go to him center, we will never get to the spiritual. Somebody said, I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and, and you don't want Christ center in your life? You're going on an encounter that's going to take you places you never thought about. And so we preach Jesus. Can you say amen? We preach Jesus. We preach Jesus. So listen, I want, I, I want, to, I want to give you this. Finally, the summation is that he's in the middle of the majesty on high. We don't see him this morning. Do you know he's here? Do you know that he is a person? And that he is seated in the middle of this place right now. Are you trying to convince me of that? I don't see him anywhere. No, you won't see him. But he's in the middle. And his presence, what he has guaranteed to us, where two or three are gathered in his name. We've got to remember his name. We don't just come in and we're going to get into holy things now. We're going to all speak in tongues. We're all going to do great giftings and all kinds of things. No, no, time out on that. His name takes preeminence in our meeting. And so, and so uh, Jesus, as we know, book of Hebrews, he ascended to the majesty on high. And so I, I, I wanted to share this with you. Is everybody ready for, for a little sharing? And, and then we're going we're gonna to be done. I want to share something with you, is that Jesus, somebody asked me, where's Jesus right now? This is years ago. Where is the body of Jesus? Well, you know, I can answer that by saying, well, he just went into the unseeable, intangible. But that's not true. He appeared where they were, and he said, he said, Thomas, touch my hands. Run your fingers in my side. He was tangible. He is tangible. He is that man connection of earth and heaven. It's him. Well, somebody asked me in a class, where is Jesus right now? And, then, and it took me back because I'm thinking, well, you know, he's just in his spirit. He is, he is here this morning. He could. He could show us just like he did to those in the upper room waiting for him. He could appear here this morning. He's here. We don't see him. If he took the, the scales off our eyes, we would see him in his glory. But he is in the place. I'm talking about him this morning, the person, the man, God, Christ Jesus is in this house this morning. That's, that's according to his word. And, and so, and so he, John 18 says he is, he's in the bosom of the Father. So now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you this, all right? Everybody ready to say amen? Okay. The transcendent and the imminent, those are terms that we've used in the past. Transcendent means there is no touching he is, he is beyond fleshly measure. And the imminent is that God is in one place. The finite and the infinite, the invisible God and the image 
of the invisible God. The I am, I will be what I will be, Old Testament. The I am, this is what I would be, New Testament. Let's put it this way. The flesh of God and the Spirit of God are seated on one single throne. He is the flesh and the Spirit of Almighty God. He is the eminent and the transcendent at the same time. He is the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is everything that you could see in God and everything that you cannot see in God. And He is seated in the majesty on high. That's where He's at. He's seated in all power and majesty. Can you say amen? And so when we look at that, we think, well, well, maybe Jesus can. Somebody said, I heard a song not too long ago. When I get to heaven, Jesus will, will uh, introduce me to God. You're so far out in left field, you don't even understand the things of God. John 12, 32. I've always quoted it this way. And I, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. The Greek text says it this way. And I... If I be raised up, exalted, from out of the earth, I will draw, and, and the definition is focusing on the attraction power involved in the one who is drawing. I will draw all towards myself. Jesus isn't taking you anywhere else. He's taking you to Himself. Can the church say amen? Center attraction. Seated in the middle. High and lifted up. In this place this morning. If we don't lift him up, he won't be here. So we lift him up. Can you say amen? And because we lift him up and honor him and praise him, he's in the midst of his people. He's seated. And he is reclining in the midst of his people. He loves the praise of his people. Can everybody say amen? Amen. God bless you this morning. I hope that you got something out of this, this insight of where he is and where he's seated. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus, we love you, Lord. We continue to preach you. The early church was founded preaching you. Lord, all the churches through the ages have been founded preaching you, Lord. It's not time for us to let go of you. It's not time for us to turn to other things and go other directions, use other methods, try and do some things that look churchy. Lord, it's time for us to keep you center and seated in your holy place. And we love you, Lord. This little church, this people, we're not big. God, we're not going we're not going to change the world. We're not going to change much of nothing. And especially without you, because you said without me, you can do nothing. Lord, so we keep you in high place in this house and just believe, Lord, that you're going to be Lord God over, over us, each one of us. And we bless you for it, Jesus. Amen.